0: Hello everyone, before this podcast begins, I wanted to give y'all a little warning, because this episode is pretty heavy. My friend Luke tells his story about how he dealt with thoughts of suicide, so if you are listening with younger kids, or if suicide is a difficult topic for you to hear about, this may be an episode to pass on for now. If you do stick around, I hope this episode brings you some peace. Oliver Sibley, this is Outlaw Catholic, and today I have Luke with me. Luke, say hello. Hello. Hi, Luke. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. I I want this to be known to the world that before we started recording, there was a fly flying around in this room, and I grabbed it with my hand. Exactly. First try.
1: A little wax on, wax off action.
0: Wah-pow. Wah-pow. Luke, do you remember? Whatever we met, yeah, I do. Do you want to tell the story?
1: I guess I can. Basically, we're Come at on. This...
0: <laughs> You got this.
1: <laughs> uh, we were at a men's ministry event on campus, and we were just smashing a car uh, because that's what men do, apparently. Hoorah! And then we were in an elevator going downstairs, and Oliver was in the elevator, and I was like a sneaker head at the time and I saw he had these Nike Cortezes on that basically if you don't know what those are, are the shoes that Forrest Gump wears in this movie. And
0: Yeah, they're low top Nikes with red, oh, white, and blue. Yeah. They're the whole thing's white and then it has the red check and a blue stripe on the sole.
1: They're sick. Yeah. So I was like, yo dude, nice Cortezes. And then he was like, Thank you so much. I've like wanted these ever since I saw Forrest Gump and my brother just got them for me for Christmas. And I was like, that's really cool, dude. And that's how we met. (laughs) That was
0: like the end of the conversation, was it?
1: Basically, (laughs) yeah. Yep, that was the end of the conversation.
0: And that's all she wrote. And then we didn't talk to each other for like another... Year. Was it a year or two years?
1: No, it was a year because then COVID happened. That's when I met you. You're right. Yeah. And then you cut all your hair off. So now yeah. you don't look like a troll. You just look very good.
0: Oh. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I grew my hair out, and it was really stringy and nasty and, and gross. And it it should have been cut well <laughs> before we <laughs> met.
1: Well, it's not nice to talk about the past. <laughs> We're moving forward. I I'd I'd like Troll Oliver. I didn't know Troll Oliver, except for that one exchange we had. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you're on the podcast today. And I am too. I'm really excited to see where this is gonna go. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> Neither do I. And I'm really scared, but also very <laughs> excited at the same time.
0: Good. Good, good, good. I hope it's a healthy fear. Oh, it is. Do you wanna do you wanna get into it? I guess we should. Alright, well, dude, the reason that I wanted to have you on is you seem very comfortable in your skin and you seem very different from Most people who go to Franciscan. And I'm just curious how you got here. How did you get where you're at now?
1: Yeah. Basically, I uh, grew up Catholic my whole life. And when I was about 14, I started going to this non denominational church. And I started really questioning whether or not the Catholic church was really that great. I kind of was at a point where I started questioning if God really existed or if he did, why he let so many bad things happen and all this stuff. Hefty. Oh, it gets so much more hefty.
0: (laughs) Oh no, now I'm afraid of where this is going to (laughs) go.
1: But yeah, basically when I was 14, I walked away from the church for a little bit. I have a vivid memory of being in eighth grade and sitting in a church and feeling absolutely nothing at all. Like, just feeling like a gaping hole had opened up and no one was there to fill it at all.
0: What does that mean? How did you... You're 14 years old.
1: How, um, how, at could time, you, how
0: could you feel that sort of intensity at 14 years old?
1: Yeah. I honestly don't know. Um, because most of it was just... When I pray or, like, when I'm in praise and worship or something... I know in my heart, it's, like, all there. Like, my heart is all there. And when I was 14, I just felt like my heart wasn't there. Like, there's, like, just a giant chunk of it that had been taken out. And I'd lost it somewhere, and it was just gone.
0: And then what happened?
1: And then for the next six years, seven years, I uh, struggled heavily with depression and... Uh, suicidal ideation
0: what does that term mean like ideation
1: Um, suicidal ideation would be like saying I think about suicide a lot rather than like saying I was suicidal like suicidal ideation means I constantly thought about taking my own life it didn't mean like one way or the other like it was just always a present thought in my mind that like I believed that going on in this world was not worth it. And I would rather not exist at all than have to keep existing in the current state that I was.
0: And that went on for, you said, seven years?
1: I would say, like, about five, six years. Um, sometimes it gets up to, like, I would say seven sometimes. But, I mean, I've been clean from all of that for about a year now.
0: Was that a progression thing? Like, did it get worse and worse or did it just like ever since you were 14 that kind of moment in that church
1: so the way i describe it to people is basically that depression is like uh, a tsunami so a tsunami is this like giant tidal wave that's caused by an earthquake within the ocean floor that can entirely wipe out cities Uh, but the thing is is that a tsunami is not just this giant tidal wave that you see at once Basically, what happens is you slowly see the water inching in further and further onto land.
0: Just like the tide rising.
1: Yeah. So the tide starts rising more and more, and you start noticing it, but you don't think anything of it at first. And then over time, by the time you realize there's something wrong, the water is already all the way up to the city, and you start freaking out, trying to get out, but it's already too late.
0: And then the wave comes...
1: Yeah, because basically what happens is the water gets higher and higher as it moves in. And you can actually look these videos up on YouTube. They're terrifying of water just slowly coming into the city. More water keeps coming in. More water keeps coming in. And then you just see this giant wave that's like larger than life, hundreds of feet tall, just come crashing down. Wow. And just like destroys everything in its path. Everything's taken up by it. And it's just... The entire town's
0: leveled in two seconds. Wow. Can you put some words into how that relates? Yeah. So, just like using that imagery.
1: Yeah. I think that, like, a lot of people think depression is, in a sense, very much just about, like, you have one defining moment of, like, that's when my depression started, or, like, that's when Mm -hmm. this, like, wound of, like, believing that I wasn't good enough or anything like that started happening and in reality it's not like this one giant thing that occurs and destroys everything Hmm. it's these little things that start inching further and further in and if you don't realize it you can't get out of that situation
0: would those little things be like situational things
1: yeah for the most part it's just like for example say we're 14 And you invite your buddy James over to your house. Okay. But you don't invite me, but you, me, and James are all best friends. But you only invite James over. Now, you may only invite James over because your mom said you can only invite one friend over, and I had already been over before, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. But the way I would take it is you inviting James over means that you guys only want to hang out with each other. And you don't like me. So then this wound starts to develop in my heart.
0: Like a 14-year-old betrayal. Yeah. And like they're... it
1: it starts feeling like, oh, like I'm not as good as I think I am. Like all this stuff that I believe. Um,
0: Is that different from just comparison to say, James?
1: It doesn't even have to be comparison. It's just this belief that like you weren't chosen. And it's because I think like at least for me growing up, like growing up in the Catholic church and even going to the, like the reason why I went to a non-denominational church for like a couple months was because I never heard Jesus loves you at Catholic church. Like that wasn't just something I just heard all the time. But at this non-denominational church, they were like, Jesus loves you. He cares so much about you.
0: Wait, so the progression was 14-year-old, you realize like something's off in feeling all of this and then you went to a non-denominational church yeah for soon after
1: yes about i would say i started feeling nothing at 14 around probably like fall semester types like november september area maybe october december like somewhere around there right right right. and then by the summer i was going to the non-denominational church with my friends who i grew up with who had honestly no care in the world
0: for the faith, or for yeah, the-
1: I mean, like, that's the thing. I don't know. I think that they did care about the faith in a sense, but like, everything at that church was entirely surface level. The, so, the thing that led me back to the Catholic Church is there was nothing that talked about suffering at the non denominational church. And I, as someone who was dealing with so much. And someone who was going through so much, believing that I wasn't good enough, believing that I didn't deserve to keep living. That Catholic church message of like suffering is a part of life versus someone just being like, just give it all to Jesus. He'll take care of it. It will be okay. You'll be happy. It doesn't line up, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm Catholic because... I'm Catholic for a myriad of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is because the Catholic Church is the only church in the world that actually addresses the reality that life is not easy at all. Like, life is never has been and never will be easy. There's nothing easy about living in this world, especially if you're going to choose to be a Christian.
0: Yeah. I mean, in any Catholic Church you go to, it's pretty obvious that suffering isn't avoided.
1: Yeah. I mean, look,
0: <laughs> there's a giant crucifix of a Roman execution.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to think about all that. And it's crazy also to think that not many people think about that. Like we walk into a church and we see a crucifix and we're like so desensitized to that reality. And the funny thing is, is that the crucifixion now would be like us wearing uh, electric chairs, electric chairs around our neck. Like wearing a cross around our neck now would be the equivalent of us wearing electric chairs around our necks,
0: with somebody dead in the chair. Exactly. <laughs> like having a a necklace with like a gun and some yeah like
1: oh yeah a shot. Well, I mean, because like to give you a little background, we all know what the word excruciating means. Like we'll say something was excruciatingly painful. But the word, the root words of excruciating are excrucio, meaning out of the cross. So quite literally, the Romans did not have a word to describe how painful crucifixion was, that they had to invent a new word.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. That's how terrible crucifixion was.
0: And now it's the poster for the Catholic Church.
1: Yeah. And now, now it's what we all talk about. We all... Wear it around our necks. We hang it up in our churches.
0: Or have 30 of them on one wall in your house.
1: Yeah. Oh, my mom has a crucifix wall. Yeah. She has a cross wall.
0: (laughs) A lot of... I feel like a lot of Catholic families have that.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but we don't think about that anymore. And honestly, that's like where my story met the reality of what the Catholic Church at least is supposed to be.
0: So when did you... Come back or went. So, you went to the Protestant church, and then how long were you there until
1: I went to the Protestant church? And then I honestly got tired af- after a couple months. I was just so sick and tired of the same stuff. And it's not to say that those people don't care about what they're doing and that they're not good people, but the fact of the matter is they missed the whole point, in my opinion, about some of the stuff that happened and they missed the whole point in the sense of the suffering and the sense that the teens that they minister to can't have a perfect life and that every single teen, myself included in that goes through very hard times growing up. Even if it's not something we can naturally point to like poverty or not having a parent around, going to high school is one of the worst things in the world. <laughs> I mean, you were literally put in a mosh pit of people from all different walks of life and told to fit in. And if you don't fit in, you're basically become an outcast of that society that we create within it. And to simply say, Hey, Jesus loves you. Everything will be okay. Doesn't work. Cause it doesn't address like the reality that I was sitting in my bed every night, considering whether or not I wanted to kill myself. And I know it's very blunt, but it's the reality.
0: It's just crazy different from how I've experienced it. I mean, just how I've experienced Protestant churches. Yeah. Have you noticed that other places or was it that specific church?
1: I, I've never been to other Protestant churches except for one when I was like 15 or 16, so I can't speak to that. But I think the overall message and the overall thing that I have noticed that has been told to me by multiple people— is that you can walk into a Protestant church, any Protestant church today, and I will put a lot of money down that you will not see one single crucifix in that entire church.
0: Sure. I mean, I think there definitely is some beauty in focusing on the resurrection. I mean, because that's kind of the the simple run of it. It's like Christ rose from the dead, and that's why he's not on the cross anymore. Which I think this is very beautiful, and I think sometimes the, the Catholic church or catholic culture misses out on this which is it's like christ rose from the dead he gave us the holy spirit utilize that utilize this gift that christ rose from the dead he did this incredible miracle which on a theological side the resurrection is just proof that it all worked out it's like proof that he is the man who he says he is but the real miracle is on the cross as far as forgiving our sins through his death that's how our salvation is gained and then he just did the the work after just to finish the deal
1: yeah and i think that i don't mean to say that all protestant churches are bad (laughs) or anything and i think a lot of protestants are actually better christians than a lot of catholics are
0: oh yeah i think I, i definitely have met a lot of protestants whose faith life is better than catholics and it's an incredible witness because they're not afraid of the Holy Spirit. They're not afraid to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real.
1: Yeah. And I think that the problem that I found within it was not at the surface. Mm -hmm. It was when I wanted to go deeper. And
0: what did that look like?
1: So basically I didn't know what that looked like for three years. (laughs) I just knew what it wasn't. I knew that I wouldn't, go party and I wouldn't go drinking because I knew that was an empty promise. I knew that that was not going to bring me the satisfaction I wanted and the love that I wanted. But I also couldn't find it in the Protestant church I went to. And then I couldn't find it in the Catholic church. So I was left at a crossroads of not knowing where to go. I felt like I just hit a dead end in my life. And then my junior year, I went to a Catholic school I went on this retreat that my school puts on every year, and I told God that it was his last chance to prove that he existed. Bold. Yeah, because it was my last-ditch effort. I didn't have a plan, but in my head, I was like, God, if you don't do this, if you don't prove that you actually are who all these people say you are, who what all these saints claim you to be, I'm done.
0: Where was your heart then? I mean, I've had prayers like that, but I think at the time my heart wasn't prepared. Oh going, my... going into it, were you restless? and?
1: Oh, my heart was at the verge of just completely falling apart. I mean, it was literally broken down into nothing. And wow. it's why, like, you know, you say, like, I'm not like most people that you meet is because basically on that retreat, I told god i would do everything for him on that retreat i would buy into everything i didn't care that i didn't want to i was like i will buy into all of this just because i want i'm going to give you every chance to prove that you're real just so when you don't i can say i did everything the way you wanted it and you still didn't show up that is a that is a crazy <laughs> surrender That's, well it was a prideful is... surrender. <laughs> It was was it, was it prideful? It was prideful in the sense that I wanted God to be wrong because I understood that my life would have to be entirely different than what it was even though I wanted it to be real I didn't want it to be real at the same time because I knew everything had to change after that And that's what at, I mean
0: what at that point were you afraid of the change?
1: Oh yeah I was terrified because I I have terrible anxiety about things I don't know. That's why I, when I start learning about something, I learn about everything. And I never stop learning about it because I'm just obsessed. I obsess over something because I want to know everything there is to know about it because I don't want someone to outsmart me or, you know, bring up something I don't know. Hmm. And I've gotten a lot better with that. But basically, at the time, I didn't want God to prove that he existed because I wanted to go on believing that I wasn't good enough. And in a sense, I wanted God to prove he existed because I knew in my heart, there had to be a God. I knew there wasn't enough evidence to support the fact that
0: he didn't exist. And I knew how, so, I mean, did you do your research to like have a educated opinion or was it just like there's too much going on here to explain. it
1: wasn't even educated in a sense like I went we had theology class every day you know right and i had some amazing teachers at my high school but overall it was i knew from a very young age that something existed that wasn't beyond that was beyond me that wasn't of this world but had created it and whether or not that's you know what you want to call indoctrination as a young child or whatever I had experiences when I was, I think, six years old at Easter. I'll never forget seeing just, like, the sunshine come in and these two old ladies smiling at me as I was playing with my little Star Wars characters (laughs) in between the pews. Like I And I never forgot that moment. And it was one of those times where I was like, God exists. Like, he (laughs) loves me. Like, I knew in that moment he took joy in who I was as a child.
0: That's such a fun memory.
1: Yeah, and I like I knew he existed in that moment. And I knew he loved me in that moment, and he cherished me and all of that. But since I had started going into all of this depression and everything, I didn't believe God loved me like he did. I believed somewhere along the way I had messed up, and I had lost his love like I had lost the love of other people in
0: my life. Wow. So take me into this retreat after this.
1: So this retreat, so the theme of the retreat was mask off. And the first talk was about how we all walk around with masks on our faces and how we're invited to take them off tonight. Uh, This is Friday night, so it goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday night, they have this talk about this. And I say, okay, God, I'm taking my mask off. I'm going to be open to everything, and I'm going to let you do whatever you're supposed to do to prove that you actually love me. And so that was the precursor to everything that would happen Saturday. So Saturday we went in and I'd been meaning to go to confession throughout the day, but I couldn't. So we were at Life Teen Cove Crest and we had this time to just go sit out in the mountains and just be by ourselves and be in creation. And it was one of those times that I just like finally felt the wind on my skin for the first time in forever. And finally, like, felt the sunshine on my face. And finally just, like, realized that what I was in was actually good. And then we came back and the confession line was open. So I ran in and I said to my chaplain at the time, Father Michael, Hey, Father Michael, like, can I please go to confession? And we went into confession and I just kind of laid out everything for him and said, In a sort of, like, cryptic way, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep going on in this life. And basically told him I just felt so lost. Wow. And.
0: That's that's hefty. Was that scary?
1: No. That's the funny thing is none of this stuff was scary for me because. I just knew that there was something going on that I couldn't see, like something was working. In my heart, I knew something was happening and I just didn't know what it was at the time.
0: I mean, were you like just kind of rolling with it? Was you just kind of like moving, like your feet were already running so it was easy?
1: Yeah, it, it was one of those things where it was like, I told God he had full control over the retreat and so he led me and I led
0: him. As this was happening, did you know God was present or were you just kind of Oh, no, I had no clue. It?
1: I was doing all of it just to prove a point that he didn't love me. Like in all of this, I was like, At the surface, I was like, you don't love me. But in my heart of hearts, I was like, God, please love me because I don't know what to do anymore. And I feel so lost and alone.
0: And what did the priest say?
1: So the priest um, told me this story about an oil leak in the Gulf Coast and how these American engineers came in and they set off these bombs and basically the point of these bombs going off was to suck up all the oil and plug up the hole. Like it would create a suction almost. <laughs> and would these plugs would go onto the oil that was leaking out. And so in doing so, they stopped the oil leak from happening. And he told me that's what I needed. I needed a grace bomb in my heart. Because my heart was like those oil tanks just leaking out all of this stuff. <laughs> and... I had no idea what he was talking about at all. I was just like, okay, dude, you sound kind of crazy, but all right, I'm going to trust that you know what you're talking about.
0: I mean, a grace bomb is, it's like a fun way to say it. Yeah.
1: And so I just was like, all right, man, I'm trusting what you say. And we went into adoration that night and I didn't know what to expect. It was like the first real adoration I'd gone to. And
0: define real adoration
1: best way to put it is I like been to adoration before but it wasn't in a sense that like I was there for adoration and I was there to like actually meet Christ in the Eucharist in that moment it was more so we got forced to go and just sit there and pray for like 20 minutes right
0: so is this adoration like Eucharistic like is like the Eucharist exposed in a monstrance yeah
1: exactly and Basically, just priest walks in, Father Michael walks in with the monstrance, and he sets it down on the altar, and I just broke down entirely. I mean, I it was the middle of winter, so I was already sniffling and everything, and I mean, I was sobbing, like heaving, tears pouring out from my eyes, not pouring out of my nose. Just like the most ugly cry you could ever think of.
0: How did you get there? Was it, I mean, did you have like a sort of... Prayer or thought before nope. any of this, you just kind of.
1: I literally was sitting there, and before I knew it, I was just overcome with the most unconditional love I've ever known in my life. Wow, I there's no way to explain it. Like, I literally was <laughs> sitting there, and right when he sat the monsters down, I just broke down into tears. Wow, and the whole time I could just hear over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I just kept arguing with God and I was like, how can you love me? I don't even love myself. I want to take my own life every day. How can you love me? Like, why do you care about me? No one else seems to care about me. Why do you care about me? And he just kept repeating over and over and over again, I love you. And the best way to put it is like, there's a scene in Goodwill Hunting where at the very end where, Robin Williams' character is talking to the Matt Damon, who plays Goodwill. Oh, yeah. And.
0: Which in the movie, Robin Williams is. Was he a therapist? And then.
1: Yeah, he's a therapist because Will Hunting's like this math genius that no one ever figured out. He's and a, he's a prodigy child. Yeah. And but he's old. He's at least 18. Because he's, he's drinking like 18. in a bar. And he's working.
0: Yeah, he's working at a university and he does this unsolvable math problem yeah it just makes and no then, sense yeah
1: and then but like the side story which actually becomes the main story of it he has gone through all of this terrible stuff and he needs healing from all of it to actually be able to move on with his life and there's a at the very end of the movie there's a scene where you find out that will hunting was abused as a child and all of this stuff And Robin Williams is just like, it's not your fault. And he starts, and Matt Damon's character starts punching him and punching him and be like, stop saying it, stop saying it. And he just keeps like, he brings him into his chest and says, it's not your fault. And he's still angry. He's still, he's like fighting him. Yeah, and he just keeps saying it over and over again. It's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. And he just breaks down into tears. Because I think the point is, is that, almost all of us that's all we want to hear is that we are loved and that we can be embraced by someone and that all these things we believe about ourselves all these lies we've been told and begun to believe throughout our life aren't the reality it's not to say that I wasn't still depressed after that it's not to say that I didn't still go through problems and still have nights where I still wanted to kill myself and still wanted to like just stop living.
0: Did that still maintain because you were still kind of feeding the lies? Oh, yeah. It,
1: it. The best way to put it is that I knew God loved me. And so I knew there was a way out. And I knew that one day I was going to overcome every single thought I ever had in my head. And I'm happy to say that's happened now, that I don't struggle with that anymore.
0: I want to get there.
1: (laughs) Oh, we will. But the reality was is that you can't just believe that it's going to be over after that moment, that you finally realize that God loves you, and everything just magically goes away. It's not like the fairy tales. This is real life. There was four years' worth of stuff that had piled up over that time and lies I had believed about myself. And I mean, very core beliefs I had about who I was in the eyes of everyone else, who I was in the eyes of God. And so the best way to put it is that I had a giant wall around my heart. And that one moment in my life that God broke through, and it was just a small hole that he broke into. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that I saw the light for the first time in about four years. And I knew that I didn't have to live in this darkness in my heart that told me that I wasn't good enough for anyone and that I wasn't worthy of the love that I constantly told I'm worthy of. That little hole he made after digging away at so many different walls I had tried to throw up to stop him from getting there. That small little hole drove me into realizing that I was good enough. And that although I wasn't going to get everything goes away at once, I knew there was something I had to work towards. And I knew there was someone who cared about me getting there.
0: Give me a clearer picture of just the lies. I would say that the biggest lie I ever believed
1: was that no one loved me and no one cared about me. I mean, now I see how much of a lie that was because I have such a great family. I've been encountered by so many people that don't even really know me, but care about me.
0: You had dealt with this for a long time. Was it always so clearly in those words that you saw that lie?
1: It's not always as clear because, like I said before, like being in that walled-in structure where it's just complete darkness and you just believe yourself to be surrounded by all of this. You can't tell the lies from the truth because there's no light. Hmm. And when that first light broke in, I started realizing all the lies that I believed for so long because they started becoming clear which was a lie and which was the truth.
0: What does that look like?
1: Honestly, I don't know how to explain it other than that. When you finally have someone tell you what your worth is and you have this like radical encounter with this love that fills every part of your being and just says, you are good enough. You are enough for me. You start realizing that all of these other things you believe about yourself aren't true. Because at the end of the day, I knew I had a problem. I knew there was something wrong with me. And I knew I wasn't supposed to feel this way, but I didn't know what the truth meant. I didn't know what this whole point of me having God die for me meant. And so when you hear the story of Jesus Christ died for you, it doesn't make any sense when you're in that state because it's like, okay, congratulations, you died for me. What does that actually mean? And you can know all of these things in your mind, but you don't know them in your heart because you've walled yourself off from all of this truth. And there is truth within those walls, but you don't know which is the truth and which is the lie. It's like being in a dark room at night. You can feel around for things, but you're not 100% sure what those things are until you can actually see them in the light and see
0: what you're holding. You just said something that I want to ask you about seeing the cross or hearing someone say Jesus died for you and seeing it in this light. I'm curious as to what you would have to say to just the thoughts of it's like, Oh, Jesus died for your sins or Jesus died for you. It's like, what walk me through that? What does that actually mean?
1: I mean, now what it means to me is that I don't deserve anything. Like there's a song called reckless love. And part of the uh, refrain is that we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Yet you're still giving yourself away to us. And I may cry here just FYI. <laughs> Cause like it's when right. I, they won't see this, when I really think about this stuff, like I get choked up, but when you think about it and you really realize That there's nothing on this earth that we can do to earn God's love. And. That. He doesn't care. That there isn't a condition put on his love for us. And that. He says. That no matter where you are. No matter what you've done. I still love you. And I want you with me forever. I mean you can't deny that reality whether or not it's true I don't care anymore (laughs) because I want to believe it's true no matter what someone could try and convince me of a million different things but I want to believe that's true because that changes how my life is yeah and it makes my life have meaning and makes my entire being be okay with my mistakes and that's something that I can't ever lose. And I think with all of these things that I filled my head with believing that I was never going to be worthy of anybody because of whatever troubles I had, of all the mistakes I had made in my past, all the judgments I made about people. And for someone to come in and say, I don't care. I love you. None of this matters to me. Because you're still mine You're still my beloved son Until you can actually understand that I don't think anyone Really gets to know why Jesus died for you Is such an important statement Yeah, And I don't think that Honestly anyone can really get to know God Without realizing that he doesn't care about any of those things. I mean, like I said before, I struggled for so long, and even in the moment where he came to me and said, I love you, I tried to argue with him over and over and over again because I'd gone into churches and cussed God out in front of him. Like in the middle of church, I cussed him out. I truly believed that he didn't care about me or about all the things I was going through. And what's funny now is I can look back on my entire life and just be like, you were there this whole time. I just didn't want to see it. Yeah. And there's a line from a rapper named NF that really hinges on that idea in one of his songs called I'll Keep On where he says, I'm standing in the rain and you're offering me a raincoat, but I would rather stand there and get wet than take the hand out.
0: Like take the hand out of his pocket.
1: Well, take the hand out like as like you're just giving something to me. Like I rather do oh. this all on my own. <laughs> I just totally botched that. You're all good. Like, but he would, and that was like my mentality. I believed that I had to do this on my own. I believed that this was something. That was wrong with me and me alone and that I had to fix this by myself. And that was a huge lie, I believed. Um, because after two years, after that happened, after I encountered God in those North Georgia mountains, I started going to therapy and I started unpacking all of this.
0: Wow. and That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. And
1: I went there for two years. To therapy? Yeah. And just unloaded everything and dealt with all of it.
0: What was that like in relation to God working?
1: I mean, I will consistently say that my therapist was one of the greatest gifts he ever gave me.
0: This is a unique space as far I mean, I've heard some people say it's like, oh, you don't need to go to a therapist if you're Catholic.
1: No, I would never ever tell anyone you shouldn't go to a therapist. You should go to a therapist if you're struggling with this. Because... God can fix stuff and God can help you heal. But I mean, I went to a secular therapist and my life is entirely different from where it was when I started there. And I hate when people say that I hate when people believe that religion can fix everything because it can't God can do a lot, but we have to let him work in the ways that he wants to work, not in the ways we think
0: he should work for us. I mean, that's like putting boxes around God. It's like how I know God, how Oliver, omnipotent Oliver, like knows God. This is how he works and this is how I work. So he doesn't work in this area. It's like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and the thing is, is like I stopped seeing my therapist because I realized I'd gotten to a point where he couldn't help me anymore. That there were things that were more spiritual and I needed actual people of faith to help me through.
0: That seems like a hard balance.
1: Oh, yeah. it's It was the hardest balance I've had to find in my life after all of that was realizing that while therapy did help me, it's not the only answer to all of this stuff. There's like this common saying in theology that reason is the foundation for, or is that right? Reason is the foundation for faith, but faith supersedes reason. Yes. Yeah. So the way I yeah, put it, you got it, it. maybe. The way I put it to people is, uh, My secular therapist was reason alone and he was a great foundation for me to start rebuilding my entire heart up and taking all of these giant broken pieces and putting them back together. He was a godsend for that. And I told him in our last session, like, thank you for everything you did for me. You helped me so much through so much stuff and that I wouldn't be here without him because he truly did. Even though he was secular, I don't even know if he believes in God. Hmm. He truly did do so much of my life and act so much like Christ through a lot of it, whether or not he knows it or... That's crazy. Yeah. And, but that's the thing is it got to a point where reason alone could not fix the things I was struggling with. Like reason alone got the big pieces up and helped me put them back in. But there are these little pieces that still need to be put into my heart. And the little pieces can't be picked up by reason. Because reason is like a giant hand that can help you lift up these big pieces, but they can't pick up the tiny pieces they will crush them. And that's where God came in. That's where I realized I needed God. As God has that delicate hand that can pick up these tinier pieces and start putting them back into my heart. And start reconstructing a heart
0: that was made for him and not for me. Yeah. For me, it was definitely some of that reason with, like, the obvious clear hand to look at. It's like, oh, this is obviously a problem with that. But it's like the things that I cared about or I was yearning for more were, like, those small pieces. It's like once I knew or got familiar with the hand that was there, then I could actually focus on the very important things that mattered which like those little small things actually became the big things that I was actually wanting to pick up
1: (laughs) oh yeah and that's like the crazy thing about it is it's like I don't get it I still (laughs) sit back and I'm just like I don't know how God did all of that because in my relation to coming to Franciscan, like how I ended up here was I went on that retreat the next year and I had plans to go to the state school and I was totally convinced I was going to go there. I was going to be a sports broadcaster. I'm a theology major now. I was going to be a sports broadcaster. I don't know if you ever heard of Max Kellerman, but that's who I wanted to be. He makes $10 million a year doing first take on ESPN, talking about sports for two hours, five days of the week. Wow. That was my dream job. That's a lot of money. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, you make a crap ton of money. If you put in the work, you can make a lot of money. What? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was, like, my dream because I love sports so much. And it's so funny because I was on that retreat, and I just kept looking. So, basically, the monsters was in front of us, but off to the right side, there's a giant crucifix that was hanging. And on that crucifix, I kept kind of just seeing myself in a weird way. I just kept like feeling this pull to it. And I just kept hearing God in my head being like, why are you trying to run away from me? What are you doing? Like, why do you want to run away from this? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not running away from you. Like, I'll keep going to the Catholic center at this state school. Everything will be fine. And he was like, no, you need to go to Franciscan. Like, I'm calling you there. And I mean, I don't know how I ended up here, honestly. (laughs) A funny story about that is my sister, when she saw the acceptance letter from Franciscan, this was around Christmas time, was like, I got a lot of peace knowing you're going to go there. And I flipped out on her and I (laughs) told her how terrible she was for saying that and how everyone always is trying to control my life and tell me what to do and all this stuff. (laughs) And lo and behold, I ended up there by that February I was like, <laughs> I have to go to Franciscan and I mean my parents were not super like excited about it at first. They were like, Are you sure about this? Like, you're going to this weird school up in Steubenville, Ohio, where my dad grew up in the Ohio River Valley and my grandmother grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is about forty five to yeah. Forty five minutes to an hour from here. And she was like, Well, if you're gonna go there, you need to know something. You will never see the sunshine again.
0: <laughs> it's a pretty gross place.
1: Oh yeah, no, it is always overcast. And I got yeah. back that Christmas break and was like, Well, pen, pen? that's what I call my grandma. You pen- were right. Pen? Yeah. Pen, pen Oh, I think I like, said Pimpin. No, no. What up pen pen? <laughs> pen pen pen. Pen yeah, she pen. Yeah, she's born on pen. she was born on Pentecost. Her name's Penty.
0: Her like, birth name? Birth well, her,
1: no, not her birth name, but that's what everyone calls her. Pim Yeah.
0: That's so fun.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. She also is just like one of those people that has been such a rock in my faith life. I mean, just an absolute queen of a woman.
0: <laughs> she a queen?
1: Oh, yeah. She's always been very supportive of me and my faith and always encouraging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't... Going to Franciscan was a leap of faith.
0: And, and what was that like to come here?
1: Oh, my gosh, man. It's the greatest decision I've ever made in my life, honestly. So when I first got here, they had a festival of praise. And, like, the festival of praise <laughs> is, like, praise and worship with adoration, like, on steroids, yep. like, times 10. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: It is It is wild.
1: It's kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Like, it scared me when I went... But, like, (laughs) the priest walked in with the monstrance with the Eucharist exposed, and I just started dying laughing. And it was because, like, I was just, like, finally in a position where I knew what it was like to love someone and just immediately be filled with joy that they were there. That they had, like, just walked into this room, and I was just like, I am so happy you're here. Wow. And, like, that moment even though I had so much stupid stuff happen to me my freshman year was like that defining moment was the point that I knew I made the right decision and then you know I got into a household and the guys that I surrounded myself with were some of the best men I've ever known in my life and called me out in a lot of ways and brought me into realizing that I needed to be better than I was even though I believed I was already the best even though I, had, I was already so far ahead of where I was when I first walked into that retreat. They were like, no, you have to keep going. You don't get to just stop. <laughs> and yeah, I still can't believe I'm here. Yeah. Most of the time, I still don't believe that I made it here because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I know God had every part of it because I filled out my freshman year. I came back. I have sworn this place off multiple times. <laughs> and every time I've realized there is nothing like being here and that no. this is where God called me and he has done amazing things, things that I know he has to exist for them to have
0: happened. Yeah. Not that everyone has to come to Franciscan, but. Oh, no, you don't, but you should sponsor us. <laughs> I mean, definitely, like, in my life, it was, like, definitely very helpful to come here and be surrounded in this community. And also, just if anyone's listening and doesn't know how Franciscan works, households are, like, Catholic frats. Yeah. And they're Basically. they're pretty small. I mean, the, the max capacity is, what, like, 40 people, 50 yeah, people? Yeah, 40 people. Yeah. That's, like, the community that... You had shared about and like, yeah. I experienced the same thing, but we we're in different ones, but yeah, it's the but same yeah. kind of deal. Oh
1: yeah, and it, it's just like, I don't know how I ended up here, man. I still don't, and it's so crazy, um, to think that I went from being in a place, you know, we were talking about Dear Evan Hansen before we started, uh, recording. <laughs> And I sent all over this song called Words Fail. And there's a part where he says, What if everyone saw like the brokenness that I was? Like, would they hate me as much as I hate myself? And I remember when that musical came out, I was like, This is the greatest thing that's ever existed. This explains <laughs> everything that I feel in music. And it's so crazy to, for me to say that. I was there, and now I'm here, and it feels like two entirely different lives.
0: I mean, Dear Evan Hansen is a wild play. Oh, yeah. And Um, I think they just made a movie about it. Yeah, they did. Who's the guy? Who's the singer? Ben Platt. He's incredible.
1: Oh, his voice is impeccable.
0: He's also in Pitch Perfect.
1: Yeah, he is. He's the little curly dude. Yeah, he plays Benji. Benji? Benji. You don't know about Benji? I just forgot his
0: name. I haven't seen Pitch Perfect in a long time. Yeah, Benji, Little Magician Boy. (laughs) Little did they know Little Magician Boy could sing. (laughs) I really enjoy the music in Dear Evan Hansen. Like a song for forever.
1: Oh, yeah. Because it's just like... I think Dear Evan Hansen came out right when our generation was starting to realize that we were not feeling the way we were supposed to
0: do you want to do a do you want to do a part two yeah with oh yeah talking about generations because <laughs>
1: this is just so much fun for me to talk about because yeah, I love talking about <laughs> this stuff
0: yeah let's do a let's do a part two all right and um we can start that one with talking about dear Evan Hansen yeah and uh get into the culture yeah. stuff but yeah Luke thank you for coming on oh dude thank you so much for
1: letting me I mean you I love what you're doing here And it's so you. Oh, thanks, Luke. It's so you. It's just like, I know most of you listening may not know who Oliver is. Well, you probably do because it's mostly people he knows. But
0: as of now, listeners are you, me, and my mom.
1: But in the future, when this podcast blows up and you don't know what Oliver looks like, everything you hear here is just exactly how you would imagine
0: him. He's like... (laughs) It's the same thing, but you just see my hands moving a lot, too. Yeah. And
1: he's like just this small man that has so much joy... But it's just so good. Luke. And he's such a man.
0: Thanks. You're welcome. Dude, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for telling your story. Oh, man. Thank you for letting me tell my story. Of course, dude. I This is so important. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's just, that's as real as it gets. Oh, yeah. That's like as real as it gets. Yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable.
1: Oh, thank God for bringing me out of all that. Amen. I wouldn't be here
0: without him. Yeah. And now it's going to be broadcasted to the interwebs. Oh no. Ah, scary place. (laughs) (laughs) I am Oliver Sibley, here with Luke, and this is Outlaw Catholic.